Good morning, Greater Elk. We have been talking for the last four weeks about the book of Ephesians. And uh, I'm going to be talking today about hope, next week about maturity. Uh, in September, you're going to be privileged to hear Mike Dennis and Nathan Gill for the entire month. They're each going to take two lessons and be doing a lesson series called Signs. And I don't know if that's, here's your sign, or uh, I guess that's old, isn't it? Huh? Anyway, or, uh, or you know, I, I, I don't know exactly what it's been about, I know basically, but I encourage you to be there for that and hear some younger voices. What's God trying to say to you? That's what the point of the signs are, interpreting what God's trying to say to you. Uh, then in the month of October, Tim and I are going to be doing a lesson series on fear. As you've heard me say repeatedly over the last several weeks, I believe it is just a huge overlooked topic that we ignore. It's a danger, uh, and we're going to talk about different fears. We're going to talk about what God has to say about fear and how to handle our fears and get into some very specific fears. And so, guys, I encourage you to uh, show back up, I guess is what I'm saying. Anyway, we are talking today on the book of Ephesians. Alan spoke for three weeks, um, the first three weeks. Did a fantastic job. If you missed those, they are all available on our website on greateraltonchurch.org. Uh, you do a search for Greater Alton Church, you're going to find it. And he talked about in those three weeks uh, different positions that the Bible talks about. Physical positions, used as more of a metaphor. But the first week he talked about that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. He is resting in what he has accomplished and that we are seated with him. And it's fantastic uh, point that Jesus has already accomplished so much. He is, he is one over sin. He is one over death. He has opened the door to have us have eternal life. And we don't have to earn those things. We don't have to work to try to achieve those. We can rest in what He has already accomplished. You see, guys, and that's very significant because a lot of Christians, it falls into the category of I feel like I've got to be good enough. Or I gotta be good enough long enough. Or I gotta be good enough just in that last period before I die. Okay? And that's not what the Bible teaches. Okay? Jesus has already earned our salvation. He's won that for us. So we can rest in that. And that enables us to then walk in this world the way our King wants us to walk. To live the life. We don't have to have a fear of if I'm good enough. Because we're not, number one. Alright? And number two is because He's already earned our salvation. We're just getting what He has taken care of. The victory He has earned, we can rest assured of, and we have the freedom and the confidence to walk in this world. And if you stumble and you fall, it doesn't change your salvation. That doesn't mean give up. That doesn't mean do what you want. But it does mean you can walk. And the third one, guys, is to stand. And he talks about that in Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about the armor of God. And that is, at the end of the day, we're supposed to stand firm in our faith. We're not to be moved. Last week I went for a little bit further and we looked again at the armor of God and talked about the practical implications of that. Alan didn't have time to get into that. And so I took the time to do that. And uh, again, I know I, I cut my lesson short because of time last week. And if you want to fill in your blanks, you can go to the website, and the notes are there for that also. But today, guys, we're going to be talking about hope. And I don't know about you, 
But hope is one of those things, one of those words in the Bible that when I look at it, when I read it, I tend or have tended to read past it, to read through it. Because, and basically, just in all honesty, I do that because I go, oh, I know what that is. You know, I know. My hope is I'm going to heaven. And that's what it's talking about. And I don't think about it. I just read through it. I don't pay attention to it. Or I haven't paid attention to that until recently. It was in the last several months that I, I don't remember if I told you folks up here. I was talking with Alan and Tim. And I said, we got to do something on hope. Because I, all of a sudden my eyes have been opened and I'm seeing it everywhere. And so guys, that's what we're going to be talking about today. If you look in your notes, the first passage we're going to look at is Ephesians chapter 1. And guys, Ephesians chapter 1 in this passage, just to, just to illustrate what I'm talking about. If you've known me, if you've paid attention to what I've spoken of over the years, Ephesians 1 is one of my favorite passages. I used it as a key passage a few months back when I was talking about the power that's available to us. Because it talks about it in the verse 19 that follows this one. But hope is one of those things I just read past. And so guys, let's look at this. The Apostle Paul's writing to the Ephesians. He'd spent two years with them. And here's what he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people. Guys, Paul's praying that Ephesians may know the hope to which He has called you. Guys, this just blows my mind. I want to say, well, didn't you tell him about it, Paul? You were there for two years. And I'm guessing he did, but it's one of those things that I believe if you don't pay attention to, you lose. And also, it's not something that you're going to get just like that. I'm going to talk about it this morning. I don't expect everybody to go out of this door and go, well, I know everything there is to know about hope. Okay, because I'm not going to tell you everything. I'm holding back on purpose. No. I can't begin to cover it all. All I want to do today is open you up to the significance of it the importance of it, and to talk a little bit about it as best we can in 45 minutes. And look at what it has to say. See guys, in Ephesians 2, around verse 12, I didn't have it in your notes or on the screen, but it talks about that before we became Christians, we were without hope. I think that when you realize, when you look at hope and you look at what the Bible has to say as we're going to today, it's as significant as the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? We've already acknowledged our tendency to neglect the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from God. And our hope is the same way. God has given us something. And if we ignore it, it's like ignoring the Holy Spirit. And we're trying to live a life without the power that's really available to us. Look in Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 11, it says, We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. See guys, he's talking to the Hebrew Christians, and he's telling them, we want you to realize the hope that you've been given. We want it to be fully realized. And he's using that to encourage them to continue on, to be diligent in their faith. Now guys, I want to be very clear here. When we talk about the hope that you have, and I'm going to get more into this as we get into the lesson. I'm not talking about the hope that you have individually. 
We all have individual hopes. He's talking about a hope that all of us share. You see, guys, when we talked about the resurrection of Jesus, we talked about normally one of the problems with the resurrection of Jesus, or talking about it, when you talk about the resurrection, people think about the resurrection of Jesus. Very important event. You need to believe in that. You need to understand it. But when the Bible talks about the resurrection, most of the time it's not talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It's talking about the resurrection of everyone. At the end of time, when Jesus comes back, Jesus' resurrection was the first for that to happen. It was proof that He was the Son of God and that we are all going to be resurrected when He comes back. Guys, hope is the same way. It's not about your individual hope. It's about a hope that we should share collectively. And so guys, as we go through this, I want to encourage you to look at that. Um, last passage we look in just in the introduction here is in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. You see, guys, hope is a pretty pretty important event. It's a pretty important thought, belief. And guys, we want to look at it. Now, a working definition that I want to go with hope is that hope is the confidence, expectation that a specific something is going to happen. Okay, that a specific something is going to happen. And the hope that we're talking about is specifically something from God. And guys, not only just something, but something good, something great, something awesome, and something honestly beyond our imagination in, in the scope of its entirety. So I ask you guys, you notice there's some blanks there, I want to ask you, and you can fill these in later on, you can fill them in now if you like, but what do you hope for? I mean, when you get up in the morning, unless you struggle with depression, as I have, you hope for something. You have a dream. You have a desire. Whether it's a better job, better financial situation, better relationships, either with your spouse or to have a spouse, you have hopes and dreams. And so I ask you guys, what... What do you think about? When you think about the future, what are you hoping is going to happen? What dominates your thoughts and keeps you moving? You see, we are commanded in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, I think it was in my notes last week, that we are to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. Now, I'm just guessing here, if you can't identify your hope, you're probably not going to be able to give a reason for it. And so guys, I want you to dig to say, what do you have hope for? You have dreams for your children, guys. My children have motivated me for years. That my mission on this life was to raise them to be men and women of faith. Guys, you have things to hope for. We're talking about something bigger than that, but I think it's important that you identify. Guys, the next thing I want to ask you is, what is the source of your hope? What is the reason for what you hope in? You see, guys, too often we approach, you make good, oh, well, I'm trusting God for this. I'm trusting God that I'm going to have a better career. I'm trusting God that my marriage relationship will get better. 
I'm trusting God that I'm going to win the lottery. You see, guys, and we tend to use God like a genie sometimes. That is basically, give me what I want. And so, guys, those two sections there are for you to self-examine. Because I believe with all my heart that if you really want to be a true follower of Jesus the way He wants you to be, you need to identify your barriers. You need to identify what gets in the way. And you need to see the contrast between your way and Jesus' way. And those sections are there right now for, you, for hopefully you can take them home and go, man, what, ha- what do I hope for? What do I trust in? With that being said, guys, this first section, what we're going to deal with is what I'm going to call a believer's hope. And the believer's hope is that when Jesus returns, we will, number one, be resurrected from the dead. I consider it my personal mission that anybody in contact with me that claims to be a believer in Jesus gives attention to the resurrection, understands it, believes in it, is excited about it. And I do that, guys, because I believe, wow, my eyes have been opened up. It impacts me on a daily basis as I go through my life. And it's supposed to, look at this here, we've got two passages in Acts 24 and in Acts 26. The Apostle Paul's talking, and these, you need to know that these passages are records of his words while he is on trial. He is be on trial for his faith. He is declared a troublemaker by the Jewish people, a problem, and he ends up losing his life in the end because of his faith. Here's what he's saying. Here's what he has to say in Acts 24 and verse 15. He says, I have the same hope in God as these men themselves have. Those are his accusers. That there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In Acts 26, he repeats himself. He says, King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? You see, folks, what he is talking about is the resurrection. And that is central to the hope of every follower of Jesus. It's there for a reason. And in 1 Corinthians 15, it flat says, if our hope is only for this life, we are to be pitied above all people. So when you look, when you fill that out and go, what do I hope for? Even if you say, this is because of God, this is because of my faith, and it all has to do with this life right here, God says you're to be pitied. I, and it's not me. That's God. Go read it. 1 Corinthians 15. You want the exact verse? I'll even find it for you. Okay? But this resurrection is a huge deal. That's why I've been talking about it for so long. And I'm going to continue to talk about it. And I believe you need to talk about it too. When somebody asks you, what hope do you have as a Christian? You need to be talking about the resurrection. Because I believe this life isn't all there is. You know, several months ago or several weeks ago when we were talking about this, I had a big old long roll of string and we strung it all the way through all the, all the chairs and everybody got to put their hand on it. And then we, after we were done, I continued, Madison Kiffmark continued to walk around the dome stringing out all this string. 
And it was just an illustration. And what we said was, the amount of string that your hand covers is the length of your life. And the length of the entire string is eternity. You see guys, that's the point of the resurrection. Because it means that we are going to be resurrected from the dead and we are going to live forever. Guys, what is that? how does that change your perspective on what goes on in your life? How does it change your perspective on what is happening in your day and what's not the way you want in your life? Whether it's a relationship or it's other circumstances. When you understand this time is going to end, I am going to die, and incidentally, you are going to die. Okay, I don't want to break anybody's news here, or break anybody's heart here. That is where we're all headed. I'm not trying to be morbid, it is the reality of life. We are all going to die. Jesus died. The good news is we're going to be resurrected. And we're going to look at that a little bit later in the, in the lesson. But guys, that is, that is the believer's hope. The believer's hope is that when Jesus returns, we will number one, be resurrected. Number two, we will receive glory. We will receive glory. Now I'm just going to be honest with you here. What I'm about to talk about, about receiving glory, I am very infantile in my understanding of it. You ask me to explain what's this glory going to look like? What's it going to be like? I'm not going to do a very good job of it. The way I, in the past, have said, hey, we need to look at hope. Now I'm saying we need to look at glory. Why? Because we need to understand it. It's part of our hope. Look at this passage here. First, First Peter chapter 1. It says, in all this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. See, guys, I don't understand all this about glory, but one thing when you look at this passage is very clear. When Jesus comes back, we receive glory. Now, I don't know what that is, but it sounds exciting, doesn't it? What, what is that all about? I thought God's supposed to receive glory. Yes, we're supposed to reflect His glory. But we're going to receive it. And I can confidently expect that. There's another passage I want to look at. It is in Romans chapter 8. It's not in your notes, not on the screen, but I'm going to read it to you. I am reading verses 18 through 21. And guys, this just this blows me away when I read this. this is, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Did you catch that? Our present troubles are not even worth comparing. I mean, the glory that we are going to receive is going to blot our present troubles from existence. 
You're not going to think about them. You're not going to worry about them. You're not going to go, oh, what if? You're not going to carry around, walk around with a loser's limp because you've been wounded. It's all going to be going away. He goes on, and this is, this is the, this blows me away, guys, just to show you the magnitude of this. It says, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What is he saying? All of creation, nature, the grass, the mountains, the oceans are eagerly expecting us as children of God to be revealed. He says, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Don't ask me what that's going to look like. Okay, what does that mean? Creation is going to be brought in to the freedom and the glory of the children of God. I don't, I can't begin to touch it. But that, what does that do to your imagination to think that creation is waiting for us to be revealed because it's been subject to decay also? Guys, it's something, dare I say, glorious. I don't, I want to know more about this. Anybody with me? This just blows me away. You see, guys, somehow or another, if you're familiar, if you've read your Bible at all, you've looked at Genesis chapter 3, you know about what we call the fall of man and the curse. Man, Adam and Eve sinned, they ate the tree, the fruit that they were not supposed to eat, and God kicked them out of the garden, and they received the penalty where they had to work the ground, and the ground was going to fight them on it, and they were going to have to sweat, and they were going to die. And we all know we're gonna we're gonna talk about it a little later. We get eternal life. That curse is being done away with. Well, apparently, creation, the rest of creation, is under some form of a curse also. That has to do with decay. And they know creation knows that when Jesus comes back and we're revealed as sons of God, they're going to be brought into it. They're going to be brought into it, guys. That just blows me away. Okay. Third thing, not only will we be resurrected from the dead, we will receive glory. The third thing is, is we will live forever in a world made right. We've already got into talking about eternal life and living forever. Guys, I don't do much on Facebook. Honestly, when I get into Facebook, it disgusts me. I'm just being honest. There's a lot, let me, let me stop. There's a lot of good things that happen on Facebook. Okay. I'm not condemning Facebook per se. There's also a lot of trash on Facebook. Is that fair to say? Okay. Thank you. Don't want to hammer everybody and make them feel bad that they shouldn't. Guys, one of the things that bugs me about Facebook, and somebody specific will probably come to your mind. Okay? Not all the same person. Okay? And th- yes, politics. Whatever their little individual bully pulpit or soapbox is all about, whether, and, and normally a lot of times it's political, and it doesn't matter if they're on the left or they're on the right, if they're Democrat or if they're Republican, they want to 
throw their stuff out there. And my, my, it bothers me because I don't think it does any good. You know, besides, unless you're wanting to start an argument. Okay? Because everybody's throwing their yes, see, there we're right. There I'm right. These people, the other side's wrong. I believe the truth of the matter is that a lot of that is motivated by the fact that the world's not right. I mean, I don't care which side you take, the left or the right, they're each going, the world should be different. Now the problem is, they put their hope in politicians, right? I mean, that's, that's literally what's going on. You look on there, you will see. And you can find, you may even find individuals and you go, I know specifically which law they're putting their hope in politicians for. Whether it's to have, have Roe versus Wade overturned, or whether it's to have racism done away with, or whether it's concealing carry. We all look at it and we go, the world is not right. And guys, God is going to make the world right when He comes back. Listen to this. Titus chapter 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now, at His appointed season, He has brought to light through the preaching entrusted by the command of God our Savior. That, that passage is just saying, He has promised God... I, this blows me away. I never noticed this. God promised eternal life before the creation of the world. Before the beginning of time. He has promised eternal life. Okay? But if you go on... The next passage is in Revelation chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. It says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. You see, guys, the Apostle John in the book of Revelation was given a vision of what things are going to be like. And this is it in Revelation 21 is where the King is in Jesus is making everything new. And all these things are going to be gone away with. You see, now you want to get excited about the resurrection because it's not just a matter of coming back to life. It's a matter of existing in a world where everything is right. What does that mean? Well, he talks about no more mourning, no more crying, no more death. I want to tell you the list is exhaustive. It also means no more racism. It also means no more injustice. No more politics or politicians. Does that excite you? That is awesome! No more taxes. And no more death. No more death. You see, guys, you need to understand, and this is what's significant. God promises what people look to politicians for. He's already promised it. And so that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. About who you're looking to for your hope. What is it based upon? 
You see, last November, half of America was excited and half of America was depressed. The same thing happened eight years prior to that. Okay? I was going to be excited no matter who won last November. Because my hope's not in a politician. My hope is not in the U.S. government or the nation of America. My hope is in God. Okay. Moving on. Second section we want to talk about, guys, is our hope should change the way I live. What, what's this hope going to do for us? What's the point of it? Just to have it? No! This hope should change the way I live. This is why understanding the hope that we have is so important. Let's read this passage in Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for Himself a people that are His very own, eager to do what is good. You see, folks, our hope should change the way we live. It should teach us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and it should make us eager to do what's good while we wait for the blessed hope. See, guys, we are waiting... But we're not just supposed to be just waiting. Okay? We're just not trying to, to stay faithful so we can wait to die and wait for Jesus to come back. Our waiting should be done in a specific way. It should impact the way we live on a daily basis. Guys, I just want to say, and I don't have time to get into it, if I had understood this 20 years ago, I would have been a different parent. I would have taught my children much differently. We would have been involved in different activities. Would not have been involved in as, what dare I say, as much of the world because as much of the world doesn't matter. My hope is what matters. Let's look at this other passage and we'll move on. In 1 John chapter 3, this just backs up what we're already saying. It says, Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been made known. Okay, back to what I'm saying about is I don't understand all this about glory. I'm not supposed to. Because he says exactly what we're going to be has not even been made known to us yet. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. So guys, our hope should change the way we live. And the second thing it should do is it should encourage me. It should encourage me. Here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, 
says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, the life Jesus has caused us to live is not a simple life. It's not an easy life. It takes intentional, purposeful living. And let's just face it, it can wear on you if you're not careful. So in Galatians 6 it says, we should not become weary in doing good. Because weariness is a danger. What protects you from weariness? Hope protects you from weariness. Hope protects you from weariness. This other passage here in Hebrews chapter 6, it says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown Him as you helped His people and continue to help them. We want each of you to sow the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. You see, guys, knowing the hope that we have encourages me in my faith. Encourages me to stay faithful. It gives me endurance to keep going when things make me want to stop. When circumstances make me want to stop. You've heard me say it before. I've never been to a 12-step meeting. You know how they start. You hear the jokes. I'm Gary and I'm an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. If I went to one, I would have to say, I'm Gary and I'm a quitter. Hi. <laughs> I'm a recovering quitter. How's that? No, I mean, guys, I can talk all day. When you go back to my... My dad told me in seventh grade when I quit the seventh grade basketball team, he said, if you quit this, you'll never stop quitting things the rest of your life. He was right. Guys, I am tempted to quit even still. Not, not very strong. I am tempted at times to pack it in. Hope gives me endurance. Hope says don't quit. Hope says look at how faithful God's been already and look at what He's promised now. Don't give up. That's what hope's supposed to do, guys. It gives you... The third thing it does is it changes the way that I view death. It changes the way that I view death. I don't think we talk openly enough about death. I know for me, I don't want to talk about it. I had the opportunity before Stephanie passed. I mean, we knew cancer was going to get her long before it did. And she would sit at my table and I would think, she knows. And I was afraid to talk to her about it. Well, how are you facing it? How are you preparing for it? Why am I afraid? I shouldn't be. We're going to talk about that in October also. But guys, look at this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. See guys, I don't know what your view of death is, but I'm going to tell you mine based off what my faith, what the Bible teaches. Death is a momentary interruption 
in my relationship with the physical world. That's it. I got to sit with Stephanie a few weeks before she passed and we were having communion together and I, I finally talked about it. That her passing is an interruption. A momentary interruption in our relationship. Because as believers in Jesus, what's happening? What's going to happen? We're going to be resurrected from the dead and we will live forever together. And all of our flaws that annoy each other will be gone. No irritations. No annoyances. Guys, that's what it's saying there. One other passage and we'll move on. It says, For the perishable is in 1 Corinthians 15. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable. The mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin and the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, guys, death is viewed as the ultimate loss. Death is viewed as that's the end. And it's not for the believer. And it's turned, instead of it being this the worst loss imaginable, it's the best victory imaginable. You know, I, I thought about this this morning. I'm sure some of, the, some of you in here have not seen the movie Die Hard, correct? Or any of the Die Hard movies? You young people, have you seen the Die Hard movies? No. It's good. Some of them are rated R. You shouldn't be seeing them. But when you get 17, in Die Hard 2, Bruce Willis's character John McClane is at the airport and he's fighting the terrorists and he's fighting to keep the bad guy from getting away and doing everything and getting beat up. And finally, at the end of the movie, or near the end of the movie, the plane with the bad guys on it is escaping into the sky. And they're getting away with it and they're hooping it up and they're high-fiving it. And if you remember, Bruce Willis, or John McClane had pulled up when they were fighting on the wing of the plane. He pulled open the, where they fuel the plane and fuel was leaking out and he's laying there on the tarmac and he pulls out a cigarette lighter and he throws it at the diesel fuel or the airplane fuel and he quotes that famous line from TV. I'll quote the TV line where he says, yippee ki Mr. Falcon. You remember that? Yeah, that's why they put it on TV. He didn't, that's not what he said in the movie. And he throws his lighter at the fuel and the fuel catches on fire and chases the plane. The plane blows up. And what the terrorists thought was victory was turned into death. What the good guys thought was death turned into victory. Guys, can I tell you that's what death is like for us? It's not something horrible. Honestly, death is a reminder that it's been defeated. And guys, we can approach death The way John McClain faced those terrorists getting away. You ain't getting away. You don't win. You don't win. As we read in Revelation earlier, there will be no more death. When we're resurrected, we live forever. The last thing here, guys, that our hope will do is it unites me with other believers. 
It unites me with other believers. Ephesians 4, this is what it says. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. See guys, he's telling them to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he goes to give them a list of things that we need to be united on because there's only one. There's only one God. There's only one Father. There's only one Spirit. There's only one faith. There's only one baptism. And there's only one hope. There's only one hope. And guys, it's a hope that we all as believers should share. And that should motivate us. And that should change the way we live. You see guys, I believe unity is a growth area here at Greater Alton. I think unity is something we need to understand better and we need to fulfill in this passage. And the hope that we have is one of the things that is listed here that we need to be united about. That one hope will unite us. Guys, I don't know about you, but this excites me. If you can't tell, it's excited me more today than it did preparing for today. That's the benefit of getting to prepare a lesson. Is you dig deeper than anybody else. You gotta be a few steps ahead. Not, you don't dig deeper than anybody else, but most of your audience normally. And guys, you get the benefit of that. Guys, I'm excited. I am encouraged. And I want all of us to understand this hope and to be united around it. So guys, as we close out today, I just want to ask you where you are. Do you give any thought to this hope? See guys, when you talk about living forever in a world made right, that's almost crazy talk in this world. Are you going to be a partial believer in Jesus? Or are you going to be a complete believer in Jesus? Because this is what Jesus died for. This is what He's giving us. Guys, let's pray, and we'll be done. Father, I just want to, as we finish up tonight, God, I just, I just thank you. I, I am blown away, and I'm excited, Father, personally. I, I had that, that, that brief moment this week where I go, oh gosh, let's just, let's just cash it all in. Not, let's just quit. Those thoughts don't last very long anymore. But Father, it's so much better to not just resist the urge to quit but to have the most incredible reasons to not quit. And Father, that's what Your hope offers. Father, it's said in Ephesians that this hope is what we were called to. Father, we should have, we should have been told about this in the entirety, or, or at least the way I'm talking about it today, when we were called to be Your believers. Father, we may not have, we may not have heard that. 
That doesn't mean we're not a believer. It just means we weren't given the whole story. Father, I pray you place it on our hearts to see it and understand what it means. Father, and I pray that we understand what it means in a real way. And when we're talking to somebody, our brother and sister, who's struggling in their faith or who's struggling with sin, instead of focusing on their sin, we talk about your hope. We talk about what you offer. And we use that as motivation to live a different life. Father, as I close out, all I can do is thank you and stand in awe of the hope you've given me. Amen.